You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Here we go. Welcome back to the Locked on Marlins podcast. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton, and happy opening day to all my Marlins fans out there, all my baseball fans out there that are just amped right now for baseball to be back. I cannot express how excited I am to get this season going. It's going to be a fun team to watch, and there's going to be plenty to talk about throughout the season. So in this episode, what else could I do other than make my predictions for the season, talk about some of the storylines, and get you geared up for what's going to be a very fun, fun year with probably one of the most talented Marlins teams we've seen in a while. Challenging opening series here with the interstate rivals driving down a few hours to take on the fish with the Rays coming to town, the AL champions, and they are still a very good team. Yes, they traded away Blake Snell and they let Charlie Morton go, but the Rays always find a way to reload and they are going to be a tough team throughout the whole season and I still think should be one of the favorites out of the AL until proven otherwise. I do think will be proven somewhat otherwise, but that's for another time. We're talking Marlins today and it's Sandy Alcantara versus Tyler Glass now which has the makings of a pitcher's duel, but you never know on opening day. We'll see. Sandy has been sharp as he has ever looked throughout the end of last year and in spring training. And Tyler Glass now has allegedly added a third pitch. Let's see how much he uses it in a real game setting here. And that's going to be interesting because if he has a a third pitch working well for him now, then Tyler Glass now is on Cy Young watch. So he's going to be fun to watch regardless. I don't want to see him carve up the Marlins, but also just as a baseball fan, I love to watch just good players be good. And Glass now is a blast to watch, but hopefully the Marlins can get to him a little bit in the early going and get Sandy a bit of a lead. The Marlins also already put out their lineup for today. And again, I'm not going to get upset because it's opening day and I'm happy, but Corey Dickerson in the leadoff spot, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully I'm wrong about that and he absolutely balls out. But the lineup goes as follows. Corey Dickerson leading off, Starling Marte playing center field, batting second, Jesus Aguilar at first, batting third, Adam Duvall, the newcomer, Manning right field and batting cleanup. Then you got B.A. at third and batting fifth. Jazz Chisholm, his first opening day, is batting sixth and playing second. Jorge Alfaro, who many are looking at for a bounce-back season, is catching and batting seventh. And then you got Miguel Rojas, the shortstop, coming off of a career year, batting eighth, which is a very good eight-hitter there for the Marlins. And then, of course, Sandy batting ninth, which is another thing I'm not going to talk about right now because he shouldn't be batting at all. And that's why Garrett Cooper is on the bench right now. And that is something that's incredibly frustrating. We'll see how the Marlins maneuver Cooper throughout the year. And that's going to be a way they're going to have to just find at-bats for this guy. I don't know how exactly they're going to do it more frequently than others, but in previous episodes, I floated ideas as how they can squeeze out some more at-bats in different ways. And that's something for another time and just something to follow as the season goes on. That was kind of fun reading through the lineup. It gave me some 
broadcaster flashbacks as it's been a little bit of a while since I've done the uh, pregame lineups and play-by-play, so I definitely missed that as well, but I am just so excited for this season. So some of the storylines I think that are really important this season and some of the predictions. I'll start with the predictions. I really do believe that this Marlins rotation will be one of the better in the National League and in the top third in baseball. I think they're easily going to slot in the 6-7 range in team ERA or at least starting pitcher ERA when we look at the midseason mark. And because of the fact that Pablo Lopez is so steady. Sandy Alcantara is so steady. Sixto Sanchez right now apparently is dealing with some shoulder discomfort. We'll see when he eventually makes his debut, and that is a little bit scary, but still... Trevor Rogers has been phenomenal, and Eliezer Hernandez is coming off of a really good year. The Marlins also have the depth of guys like Nick Neidert. You also have Edward Cabrera, who's trying to work back and be ready to go. That's a storyline that's worth following and watching. What are the Marlins going to get out of him this year? And then they also have Braxton Garrett waiting in the wings in AAA, who's flashed some really good things too. So this team is going to have a ton of starting pitching, which is led and anchored by two guys that I think you can really count on to give you a very solid year this year with Pablo Lopez and Sandy Alcantara, but the Marlins are definitely hoping that especially Alcantara can take that next step to somewhat a status and be that just anchor at the top of the rotation. Pablo Lopez could take a step forward too and be a very solid number two or number three guy in the rotation. Sixto Sanchez is a big X factor for this team. Health, of course, is one aspect of it now that we see him dealing with some shoulder discomfort, but also just his ability to get more swings and misses, which I harp on a lot. That's going to be a big factor in what would differentiate him from being solid to elite because I think he can be solid even without missing bats like he like he did last year. Last year, he was really in the 35th, 39th percentile in whiff percentage, which he should never be with that caliber of stuff, but he was still effective. And he did have some difficult starts sometimes, but overall was able to battle, get ground balls, get out of jams, pitch to contact, and sometimes get the strikeouts when he really needed them. That's something that he'll always be able to do. But when you look at Sixto Sanchez, you're hoping for an ace. And he's going to be going to need to be able to get more swings and misses. So a big X factor there. Also, Eliezer Hernandez. Is he going to be able to find that third pitch and use that third pitch more? I hope the answer is yes. If not, then a move to the bullpen is probably more likely. But the reports are that he's been really working on a third pitch and we'll give him a chance here to showcase that. And that's one of the really important things to follow as well. Trevor Rogers, I've been talking about this guy since last year. Even when he was struggling, I just saw so much, so much good out of his outings, even the tough ones. And I expect this guy to be really, really good this year. The only issue for him at times, I think, is going to be command, getting deep into starts, staying ahead of hitters, not falling too deep into counts. We might see a lot of four and two thirds kind of outings outings or hardly get into five innings. I really want to see him get ahead and go after guys because just his fastball alone as a bread and butter pitch is really hard, especially for lefties to square up or even make contact with. So go after these dudes until you run into trouble. Don't try to be too careful. And I think he's starting to gain that confidence and he's kind of talked about that himself and you can see it on the mound. I really believe, and this is another X factor, especially if he's going to bat lead off for the Marlins, Corey Dickerson's going to bounce back this year and the Marlins really need him to if their offense is going to be competitive. I'd say that him and right there with Jorge Alfaro is a big X factor too. The Marlins need to get some sort of production out of their catcher position, especially if Alfaro is not going to be a premium defender. He's worked hard on his defense, but if he's an average to slightly above average defender, you still need to get offensive value out of him. 
And that's going to be a storyline I'm going to follow up on later in the episode as well. What do the Marlins do if Alfaro struggles and how does that situation look? Jazz Chisholm is quite obviously an X factor too as a guy that has all-star potential but also has the variance of a guy that could also be sent to AAA. He's that kind of volatile prospect. I think he's going to hang around. He's going to be solid. There's going to be growing pains. But overall, I think he's going to be able to hold his own and have really good moments. He's going to be streaky, but the Marlins are going to protect him from lefties for the most part, I believe. You have to. With John Birdie, somebody that should be in the lineup at least a couple times a week anyways, just with how dynamic he is, you should keep John Birdie in the game against those tough lefties and protect Jazz Chisholm from those situations. Eventually, he's going to need to be able to hit lefties. But 19 of his 21 home runs in 2019 came against righties. And if you want to ease him into the big league, because he is still very raw. Protect him from the lefties earlier on. Let him get into a bit of a rhythm, and then you can start to unleash him against the lefties as the season progresses. But John Birdie has been so good and is so dynamic for this team that it's just something that I would want to see anyways. I would want to see him getting some starts there. As much as I love seeing Jazz in the lineup every day, Birdie has earned at-bats and, and deserves a spot in the lineup, and I just can't stand to see Birdie in the outfield with especially how many outfielders the Marlins have. And I expect Birdie to make at least two, one to two starts a week and make the most of them. He's probably one of the more underrated and valuable utility players in the game with the speed he offers, the ability to steal bags, play all different positions. He can still hit for a little bit of power for the speed that he brings to the game and for his size, and he is a just grinder at the plate. John Birdie is one of my favorite low-key guys that this Marlins team has. I'm going to talk about some of the storylines, some minor league predictions, and then my overall predictions for the entire ball club in a moment here, but a quick break to remind you that this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Why pay 20, 30, or 50% more from the, for the same auto parts from a chain store or a car dealership when you can just go to rockauto.com and use our easy-to-navigate website to find whatever car part you need for any make or model. The private mechanics, the car dealerships, they're not looking out for you. They are just trying to maximize their profits. But rockauto.com is a family-owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. They have everything you can imagine, and they are perfect for the do-it-yourselfers because they ship the part straight to your door and it is just that easy head over to rockauto.com and let them know that locked on sent you in the how did you hear about a section amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts that your car will ever need rockauto.com also brought to you by our friends at locker room locker room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans the app is free to download and once you're in you can talk to me other fans athletes and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport i'll be hosting rooms during the season for locked on marlins once a week starting later this week or next week i will definitely keep you posted on that but you'll have the opportunity to join in on the conversation that you listen to here every single day Locker Room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to the big news. Go download the free Locker Room app right now on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and then join the MLB group for the latest updates. You can follow me at rmwayton8 so you can be notified when my room goes live. Definitely go check out and download the Locker Room app. Locker Room, changing the way we talk about sports. Well, let's talk about 
the Marlins storylines now as we go through this year. And there are a lot of them. I kind of touched on them with the predictions. And these are some of the biggest storylines, majors and minors, that I think are worth following. The obvious is, how do the Marlins get Garrett Cooper at bats? And what do they do with the first base situation? Eventually, if both guys are hitting, then and, and both guys, I mean Jesus Aguilar and Garrett Cooper, what do you do if the outfield is also still full? If Corey Dickerson's doing well and Duvall is doing what Duvall does, you're obviously not going to move Marte. How do you navigate this? I mean, that's a good problem if everybody's hitting, right? And things come up throughout the season that might answer this. However, I wouldn't be shocked if Cooper is really hitting and Aguilar is just solid but maybe not moving the needle or not performing as well as Duvall or Dickerson, that the Marlins would move Aguilar because teams, especially in the AL, could use a player like Aguilar as a DH. Teams in the NL are always looking for a steady bat at first base. I love Jesus Aguilar. I don't want to see him leave, and I was glad that the Marlins brought him back, but it's going to be fascinating to see what the, what the Marlins do and how, how they navigate it. I wouldn't be shocked if the Marlins ultimately traded Garrett Cooper too. I mean, we've heard about teams inquiring about him. He's a little bit more versatile. Other teams may be more willing to stick him in the outfield. He can play first base, obviously be a DH as well in the AL, and he's a bit more dynamic, I think, at the plate than Jesus Aguilar, though Aguilar looked a lot better and more like his all-star self last year. That's going to be the number one storyline to follow. Also, how does Eliezer do? Does that third pitch really help him? Does he stick in the rotation? Does he move to the bullpen? How do the Marlins maneuver that? Can Edwards stay healthy? And if so, when is his debut? That is the big one for me, especially now that Sixto might be a little bit banged up. Edward needs to get healthy and the Marlins need to see this guy debut. I honestly don't think that there's much more for him to prove. He carved guys up at double A. His stuff is already big league caliber and plus big league caliber on that changeup. Fastball is electric. He's ready to go. The command has been there too. The strikeout numbers are ridiculous. The only variable right now for Edward Cabrera is the health and that has been frustrating because it seems like every time he's getting close to finally making his debut, something flares up and just the Marlins have to shut him down. And they've been very careful with him. So we'll see how that develops as he's already kind of nursing back from a little bit of a flare up right when he came back to throwing again this spring. I think on the minor league side of things, the storylines there are really fun too because the Marlins have some prospects that are kind of have their backs against the wall now, and it's do or die, it's sink or swim. Monte Harrison, Isan Diaz, those guys, it's sink or swim right now. And then they have some young guys where it's like, let's see what they can do. We didn't get a chance to see Burdick build off of that absurd campaign. We didn't get a chance to really see Meisner get unleashed. And I know people are really expecting big things from both of those guys, myself included. J.J. Bleday was absolutely incredible this spring. Now it's more like a J.J. Bleday watch thing now where if he's performing at double A where he may start, which I think he has to start there after what he just did in the spring. It's starting to get to the point now where it's like, okay, when are the Marlins going to call him up? When are the Marlins going to call him up? And that's going to be super exciting too. The issue though is that the Marlins don't really have a spot for him. It, even at midseason, when you look at this team, it's it's again, it's going to be injury dependent. If they're struggling to find that bats for Garrett Cooper, what are they going to do with Bladey? So unless a player goes down, Bladey's probably going to get a majority of a season down there in double A and maybe get the move to AAA and just continue to mash. And the Marlins excitement, Marlins fans are just going to get built excitement 
excitement over and over, kind of like it was for Sixto, where we were like, okay, just call this guy up already. He's ready to go. Just call him up. Let's do it. It's going to be like that with Bleday because of the way the Marlins team is situated right now, and it's positioned more so for him to debut next year. But if the Marlins are struggling at the end of the season, I think we'll see a lot of interesting September call-ups, and that'll be a lot of fun too. With how many really good outfield prospects the Marlins have, Gerard Encarnacion making the move to first. How is Gerard going to look right now, one, defensively at first, and two, also just with the bat. He has DH implications by the time he's in the big leagues. I would hope that the major leagues have, and the National League has, the universal DH. We'll see. And I think Gerard is a big X-factor player this year for the Marlins system because he had really, really good numbers through A-ball, struggled a bit in high A, and I want to see if he can make that transition. There's a lot of swing and miss in his game, but there is a boatload of power, also similar to Griffin Conine. But I don't know if you saw that piece in Baseball America recently, in the last couple days, and it was like Griffin Conine's swing change has him locked in and he's ready to go. And I was talking about that obviously over the last few months about Griffin Conine's hard work and all of the biomechanical studying he's done to see the best moves for your body and just the best way to optimize your strength as a bigger guy, to not have any extraneous movement, to be able to repeat your swing better, and just to limit the strikeouts. And he seems like he's really comfortable. I'm obviously biased. So when I like cite that Baseball America thing now, I'm like, okay, They said it now, too. I'm not the one that's going to be pushing out that he made these swing changes because I didn't want to be the one that, I guess, quote-unquote, reported that. But his swing looks great. I think that Marlins fans are going to be really pumped up on it, and he's going to have a big year. I will will die on that hill. I, I really believe it. I'm biased, but he looks fantastic. And I've even sent it around to some other scouts, and they've all said the same thing. So I am amped to see how Griffin's going to put it together this year. But he really does have the work ethic and what it takes between the ears to overcome and progress through the minor leagues. Very, very excited for him, and I'm glad that Marlins fans are excited as well because he is pumped to be a part of the organization, and we'll have an interview with him at some point this year, don't you worry. So when we look at the rest of the minor league system, the Marlins pitching too, this recent draft class, they went all arms. How are those guys going to progress? How quickly is Max Meyer going to ascend? That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But I think when we look at the Brewers package, the Yelich package, this is the final year kind of for that return. And basically the time where we're either going to turn the page and just cut the ties or at least something positive will happen. Because if Isan Diaz struggles throughout this year, I think regardless, Isan Diaz is a major trade candidate. Monte Harrison, if he struggles this year, he's not getting any younger. That's where it's starting to get to the point of like Lewis Brinson. I think this year is the last chance for Monte to put it together. And if he doesn't put it together, he's starting to look more like Lewis Brinson. As for Lewis Brinson, we'll hope that he can continue to build on being a lefty platoon guy at the very least. That would be a bonus after what we've seen in the past. And that will be interesting to follow this year as well. How does he progress? I think the Marlins are going to make a few moves no matter what they are or what position they're in, in terms of if they're contending or if they're struggling. There's probably a good chance that Magnaris Sierra is going to be traded. I see no way that the Marlins hold on to him with the fact that they have no options for Sierra and they have plenty of other guys that they can stick in the outfield. I know I lobbied for him to make the team over. Lewis Brinson if it was one or the other, but that was more so for the short term. Now that both are presumably making the team, I think that the Marlins should 
maybe look for trade options for McNair Sierra. Also, when we talk about some of the other things the Marlins may want to do if they want to add to this team, where do they do it? It would probably be catcher if Alfaro struggles. And what do the Marlins do then? Catcher is a very thin position across baseball. Do they just go get a veteran like Jonathan Lucroy that can split time with Alfaro just so you get more production there? Or do you go all in and circle back with Wilson Contreras and try to make a deal? Salvador Perez is locked up with the Royals. And this is just if Alfaro is struggling, which is very likely. He could play well. He could be better. But if he's not then the Marlins need to start looking at other options, and I don't think they should wait till midseason to do it. You're going to be bleeding out from the catching position if Alfaro continues to struggle, and my goodness, if they start Chad Wallach or Sandy Leone every single day again, I'm going to lose my mind. So that can't happen. It's going to be very important, I think, for this team that if Alfaro gets to the point now where you're a couple months into the season and he looks like the same old Jorge Alfaro, let's start looking for trades. Let's start looking to make moves here. You don't have to be desperate, and if there's nothing out there, then go sign a Jonathan Lucroy. But don't just mail it in on the season here and just let yourself bleed out from the catching position. That's going to be very important, in my opinion, and going to be a very interesting storyline as well. I'm going to get into my overall predictions for the season to wrap up in just a moment. Also, a quick break, though, to let you know that betonline.ag is our most trusted online sports book and you can still get your future bets in right now for the major league season at least for the marlins and for some other teams as i'm recording this we're about to get the first game underway it's about to be 1 p.m let's go but there are plenty of things that you can wager on on betonline.ag it's the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your sports action as we get this baseball season underway but they cover everything from awards tv shows reality tv they have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine BetOnline has you covered on all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website and use the promo code Locked On. That's one word, Locked On, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. That's promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Alrighty, let's get to the most fun part, which is the predictions. For the Marlins season, this is where it gets fun and dangerous. But I'm not going to be too insanely bold because I feel like a lot of the things that people believe are going to happen with the Marlins are going to happen. And by people, I mean Marlins fans. And the Cy Young winner, so to speak, for the Marlins is going to be clear-cut Sandy Alcantara. Pablo Lopez is going to pitch really well. But I do think that Sandy Alcantara becomes an ace this year. I've been so impressed with his de- development, excuse me, the quality of stuff he has, but the command to his pitch mix. He has studied what goes into pitching, and he has been utilizing his arsenal much better in a way that I want to see Sixto do it. Sandy has had that progression as well. Sandy was similar where he was pitching to contact much too frequently. He wasn't getting swings and misses, and we were looking at his stuff, if you remember, and we were saying... How is he not getting more swings and misses with this stuff? And he's very similar with the heavy fastball kind of sinker type of action. And it was just not getting the swings and misses. He has figured it out. And he gets a lot more swings and misses thanks to the slider improving in quality. And that's similar to what I think is going to happen with 6-0-2. Sandy is going to have a massive year this year. And I cannot wait to see the numbers that he's going to put up. He's going to be a top 20 to 25 pitcher in baseball. And he's also going to be the rock for this Marlins team. Pablo Lopez is going to be a very, very solid and clear-cut number two for this team, and that is not going to be a surprise either. I really, really believe that Trevor Rogers is going to be 
in consideration for Rookie of the Year. He's going to get votes. He's going to be right up there. I just don't see how anybody dethrones Kebrian Hayes because even while he's not going to replicate his numbers offensively from last year, Kebrian Hayes is just so good defensively. Probably one of the best defensive third basemen I've ever seen, and he's only been in the league for like 30 games. But I watched him a ton in the minor leagues, and I've talked about him a lot on Locked On MLB Prospects, and he is just special. So even if he hits just 270, he's going to be so high up there in war because of his defensive value that I don't see how anybody dethrones Brian Hayes unless he, God forbid, gets injured. So I don't know if Trevor Rogers is going to win it, but I think he's going to be right up there with everybody else in that equation that's just chasing Brian Hayes, which would be a huge win regardless for the Marlins. The team MVP... I would say Garrett Cooper, but he's just not going to get the volume of at-bats, even if the Marlins are able to maximize his ABs as much as they can. It's just not going to be there to be the team MVP. Starling Marte, he is going to be the dynamic player for the Marlins. He's batting in the two-hole today. Hopefully, he'll be more in the leadoff spot, but we'll see where he ultimately is hitting more frequently. But the defense he brings, the speed he brings, can hit for some power just a doubles machine, and I just love what he brings to the table for this team. He is one of the more underrated acquisitions from the deadline last year. He didn't play great in his 28 games with the Marlins, and you still saw the impact that he makes for the lineup. He just adds so much more to the team in terms of the ways he impacts the game, but also just a dynamic veteran that just packs a punch at the top of this lineup. Huge for the Marlins. He's going to be the MVP for this team, hitting right around the high 280, 290 mark. He's going to hit 15, 20 home runs, and the rest of his game is going to come together well, too. As long as Starling Marte is healthy, he is going to be this team's MVP this year with just solid numbers across the board. Before I get to win-loss record to wrap up, I am going to say one other thing too on this team, and I think that they are going to be up there at least in the middle of the pack, and it's up there because the Marlins have never been up there in a while, but I really think they'll be around or above, slightly above league average in home runs. It's a team that now has a lot more power than it's had in the past, one through eight. I want to say one through nine. One through eight, unless Pablo Lopez is in the lineup, then they got some bonus power out of the pitching position. He said he wants to hit a home run this year. I really think he's going to do that. That will be my other bold prediction. Pablo Lopez home run at some point this year. But the Marlins lineup, when you look one through eight, you can make the case for every single one of those guys easily hitting 20 home runs this season, I'd say except for Rojas. So one through seven. Dickerson has hit more than 20 home runs frequently and should do that this year. I think it'd be a disappointment if he didn't. Marte is always right around that mark. If Jesus Aguilar gets enough ABs, which it seems like he will, 20 home runs is easy for him. Cooper will hit 20 home runs even if he just gets 400 at-bats, I think. Like, that's how locked in he is right now. Duvall almost hit 20 home runs in a shortened season last year. He was third in the NL in home runs. I would expect him to hit 20. Anderson is almost a lock to hit 20. Jazz Chisholm is a home run hitter, so you add him into this lineup. As long as he's hitting enough, 20 home runs will be a part of his game without issue. Alfaro is that interesting wild card here, but he is always right around the high teens, even when he's struggling, so you can make the case for him easily being able to hit 20. And then Rojas is still good for double-digit home runs. Birdie is no stranger to leaving the yard. If Lewis Brinson is at least even a shred of what he is capable of, he will hit some home runs off the bench. There's power on this team that we haven't really seen in the past, and and I like that. It's going to be fun, and it's going to be more interesting 
for this offense that now will be able to score without having to manufacture runs as much, which is huge given the rotation that they have. And that's going to lead me into the final prediction here, which is that the Marlins finish over 500. I really think that the Marlins are going to be in the thick of things by the end of the season. What's going to be the determining factor is if they decide to be buyers at the deadline or if they kind of remain in the status quo. If they make the right moves, I think that this team could end up taking a step to being a second wildcard threat. But there's some important variables, I believe, that are going to factor in here. Edward Cabrera is going to need to be in the equation for this team at that point. Sixto Sanchez is going to need to be presumably healthy. And I think both of those things are going to happen by midseason. The thing for them is that they're going to need to add a high leverage bullpen arm if they're in the hunt. I don't want to give up a huge prospect. I don't want to see the Marlins do or repeat any of the mistakes they made in the past there, but there's definitely ways that they can add and help this team without depleting the farm system. But I want to see them add if they are in the hunt and they're going to need to, to make that final push. That's where things are going to be fun to watch and we'll see how the Marlins navigate. But my final prediction on record this year is 84 and 78. It's going to be really tough in the NL East. And I think the way the NL East is going to be separated is how badly you beat up on the other teams, on the Midwest, on the teams in the West Coast that aren't the Padres and the Dodgers. And just can you hold your own against the Padres and the Dodgers? But when you go play Pittsburgh, when you go play Colorado, you got to knock those teams around because if you don't, the rest of the NL East will, and you're not going to be able to keep up because most of the best case scenarios here is tread water against the Mets and the Braves. That really is the reality of it. Those teams are so good. If you can just go 500 against those teams, you know, where it's just a wash, then you got to dominate the rest of the way against those bad teams, against those really bad Rockies teams, against those bad Diamondbacks teams and the the Pirates. That's the, those are the teams that you got to really get your wins in. You can't give away series there because every single win is going to be so valuable in the NL East. I think the Marlins are going to do a good job of that, and they're going to be pesky. They give the Phillies fits. They're going to be a team that nobody's going to really just roll over, even in the NL East, and say, okay, Marlins are in town. Here we go. We're going to take three quick wins here and move on to our next series. It's not going to be that way. And everybody knows that, especially with the pitching staff that they have. The Marlins are going to ride that pitching one through five, which is just so steady where you don't have a hole in that rotation any given day, which a lot of teams don't have. I think when you look at a lot of teams across the league and even in the NL East, aside from the Mets and the Braves, you look at the Phillies and the Nationals. Of course, they've got a ton of talent at the top, but every fourth or fifth day, there is a wild card out there. I mean, the Nationals are rolling out John Lester, and the Phillies are really hoping for certain guys to be able to put it together that haven't. The Marlins have at least some proven guys at the top and some high upside at the back end that have already proven that they can shove and get major league outs. Really excited. My final prediction is, and it's lofty, 84 and 78. That's going to be really close to a second wild card spot, but they can put themselves over the top if they play really well. My lower end projection is that they win about 76 games, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world either. Regardless, smash the over on the win total. It's just disrespectful, and it's just not going to happen. They're going to be better than that, and there's just no way they're going to be worse. The pitching got better. They added Adam Duvall. They added so much to the bullpen. This team's going to be a lot better. I am so pumped for this season. Man, we're three hours away. I am so excited to share this Marlins season with you. Thank you so much for listening. The numbers 
leading into the season, the listening numbers have been just rising and rising. I can feel the excitement from Marlins fans. Thank you to all of those who take the time to listen, to engage with me on Twitter. Check out Twitter. I'm doing a bunch of giveaways. I gave away a signed uh, program from 1993 by Jeff Conine. Yesterday, I'm giving away a signed Marlins 2003 World Series ball, also by Jeff Conine today. A few more giveaways an opening week here to get everybody excited for the season. And thank you to those who take the time to leave a review on the podcast as it helps me immensely. As always, I am so grateful for you listening. I am so grateful for baseball season to be back. And I hope that I got you a little bit more amped up for the beginning of what's going to be a fun, fun season at the major league level. Minor league is back. We're playing a full season. This is it. This is what we live for. Let's have a year.